calendar this is memorial weekend in the church calendar this is ascension weekend as someone on facebook has said the first day jesus started working from home yeah it was about that funny so that was appropriate (laughs) i'm going to take you through now Places where the Last Supper occurs in Scripture. Now, those of you who are part, and I'm going to say this name wrong, Susan Eichmann? Is that right? Eichmann? Okay. Those of you who are part of the Susan Eichmann Bible study know that there has, oh my gosh, Jill Flanagan just walked in the room. I almost just had a... I thought you would be the very last soul we saw come into this building. God bless you. It's great to see you. Um, there's this thing you do on Facebook where you ask your grandkids about COVID. You know, how did it start? And her, her grandkids say things like it started from bats and it started from a, it's, it's a, it started because of germs and it started because of pets. The little one said because of pets. Apparently a bat is now a pet. But the last question is, 
who's the first person you're going to hug when you can? And they all said, Grandma. Boo-boo. Yeah, boo-boo. Yeah. So I just thought that was beautiful. Anyway, Susan Eisman Bible Study has been talking about the Last Supper. And one of the big debated questions is, was Jesus' Last Supper actually a Seder, a Passover meal? And the person who is doing the Bible study that they are using says, well, yes, of course it was, and we all know that. Now, what he's doing there is taking his own scholarly opinion and presenting it as fact. What he has left out of that debate is the reality that it's really a pretty heavily debated matter among biblical scholars about whether or not Jesus' Last Supper was actually a Passover meal. And I'm going to show you just a titch today about why that matters. We're going to start, and I want you to write this down because this scripture is not in here. We gave you three of the four scriptures um, where you can find information about the Last Supper. The fourth one is Mark 14, starting at the 12th verse and going on to the 25th. Okay. Um, Can you put Matthew up? Keith, you can follow along in Matthew. You will see most of the people, most scholars think that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. So you'll be able to follow along in Matthew what Mark says, but I'm going to show you still what the differences are. Mark says this, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, okay, the Susan Eisman people are going, well, this is easy. It says right there, Passover lamb. This is a Passover meal. This is a Seder. Got it. It's not that simple. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples said to him, where do you want us to go to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover. So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went into the city and found everything he has told them and prepared the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places, they were eating. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Then they began to be distressed and to say to him one after the other, surely not I, surely not I. Surely not I. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one to have not been born. And here we get it. While they were eating... Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it 
gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And all of them drank from it. It was a common cup. See where we get that practice? He said to them, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Jesus is going to drink again in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in Matthew, in the 26th chapter, we get a very similar story starting at the 17th verse. It's the day of unleavened bread. Susan Eisman people, Passover, we got it. It's a Passover meal, got it. It's not that simple. Stay with me. Where do you want us to make preparations? He goes and he meets a man. While they're eating, he predicts that Judas will betray him. And then he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and gave it and said, Drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, what? For the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins is added in Matthew. Why do we do this? Because we remember that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And then verse 30 is only occurs in Matthew. When they, after they ate... When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. See, they were already practicing to become good Methodists. They ate, they sang a hymn, they left. Thank you for laughing at my joke, Debbie. You were the only one that did. I appreciate that. All right, then we go to Luke. Very similar story. Remember, they're all using Mark. They're all using Mark as a source. Same thing, Susan Eisman people. The day had come of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. It's a Seder meal. We've heard this is the third time we've heard this. Why is this a question, right? Stick with me. This time it is Peter and John only who are the disciples to go to prepare the room. And they get there. And this one doesn't add the paragraph immediately about Judas being the betrayer. We get it later. In Luke, it says the hour had come for Jesus to take his place at the table. And he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus had to suffer. And he took a cup and he gave thanks. He took a bread and gave thanks. He took the cup and gave thanks. And in this one, he says, this is my body given for you. We get this new piece. It's given for us. And here is where we get 
Do this in remembrance of me. Seldom in a Protestant church, not on a Catholic altar, but seldom in a Protestant church do you see, do this. I mean, frequently in a Protestant church you see, do this in remembrance of me. On the communion table. It's right there. And it comes straight from Luke. The other Gospels don't have it. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he goes on and he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. And then he says, and the one who betrays me is at hand. Oh, okay. And then we get to the Gospel of John. Now remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. Synoptic means same eyes. They look alike. Well, they do. We saw that. They all look alike. There are very subtle differences in what they do. John is totally different. The Last Supper in John is in the 13th chapter, and it's not even a supper. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. And here you go, Susan Eisman people, if you want to know where it gets a little more complicated. Now we get it. 13th chapter, verse 1. Now before the festival of Passover. Before the Passover. So was it a Passover meal or wasn't it? Before the festival of Passover, what happens? Well, they get together and they don't eat. The Last Supper in John is not a supper. The Last Supper in John is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, Jane is a candidate for ministry, and I've told her to be very, very careful about that because one of the questions she's going to get is, How many sacraments are there in Reformed tradition? And she's going to say, and why do we say that? Because we say they're the ones that Jesus instituted in Scripture. But how many sacraments did Jesus really institute in Scripture according to Reformed theology? Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and foot washing. Because in the 13th chapter of John, there is no Last Supper. There is only washing of disciples' feet. And so, Susan Eisman, people can say, hey, then it wasn't a Passover meal because it wasn't even a meal. We get it. We got it. Except here's the thing. If you throw that out, you throw out what happens later while they're at table after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, which is, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you're all saying to me, well, so... Yeah, well, so, do you know what the commandment, the word commandment is in Latin? Good Catholic girl, do you know? 
word commandment in Latin. Our, world, our word becomes mandate, monday, monday, Thursday, when we get the commandment to love one another. This is always the scripture. And if we just throw this out and say, oh, it wasn't a Passover meal, it says it's all before Passover, we have to throw out Monday, Thursday. Now, who's going to do that? Are you all following this? Do you see how complicated this is? It's not easy stuff. See, that's why when people said, oh, well, you can just do a little teaching on communion and everybody will get it, I went, yeah, thanks. Here's the thing I want you to understand about today. Communion in Reformed tradition is three things. It's remembrance, it's celebration, and it's anticipation. It's anticipation of a feast that will come. That's why when Jesus says in all these places... I won't taste this again until I feast in glory. We have to remember that when we do this. It's part of the meal. See, John does something that no other Gospels do. John says there's no meal. There's no Last Supper with the disciples. There's instead washing of the feet. But John gives us an extra chapter in his Gospel that the rest of the Gospels don't. We get a whole series of resurrection appearances of Jesus that we don't get anywhere else. Now watch this. I'm in the 21st chapter of John. Jesus has been raised and shown himself to his disciples. And this happens. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, No. And he said, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, not the left side, because the left side was bad. Cast it to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for his naked and jumped into the boat. But the other disciples came in the boat and dragged a net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Why 153 of them? Because there were 153 known species of fish in the whole world at the time. They got every kind of fish they possibly could. That's a miracle from the Dead Sea that only, you know, only contains scrawny little scrubby little fish. And though there were so many, the net is not, was not torn. Jesus said to them, 
Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him who you are because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. In John, the Last Supper isn't bread and wine. It's bread and fish. And it isn't a supper. It's a breakfast. How cool is that? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before you get nervous, I just have a few things to say. And I'm not over time yet. We've been doing this series called Dinner with Jesus. We started out talking about sacraments and community. My assertion, as you know, is the sacraments require us to be in community. And the question was, is a virtual community, are those of you listening on the radio and watching on Facebook part of our community? And you have convinced me that, yes, indeed, you are definitely part of this community. So we can have sacraments as a virtual community. Then the next part of this that we talked about were the traditions of what the mode of this sacrament means. What do the bread and the wine really mean? Are they really literally in transubstantiation, the body and blood of Christ? Or are they something sort of in between, which is what the Lutherans want to say? Or are they, as Zwingli said for us, the spiritual presence of Christ in our midst? Zwingli gave us that. We picked it up and put it in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was for years we made all our ministers subscribe to. And it says Christ is really present, but spiritually present at the table. Zwingli gave us that. Zwingli is also the one who emphasized for us that this is a memorial meal. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial meal. We remember Christ's sacrifice for us here. Have you ever gone into, and many churches in this presbytery do, it drives me nuts, many churches in this presbytery do it, where you go in and you see the communion table all set up, And they have some sort of drape over it. That is intended to look like a funeral pall. You all know what a funeral pall is? It's a very elaborately decorated pyramid that goes over a coffin. When people put cloth over the communion elements and the communion table, and then they take it off and fold it very neatly, unless you're at one church in the presbytery where they take it off and fold it very neatly and then they throw it in a corner. I swear I saw that and I couldn't believe it. It's meant to be a funeral pole because Zwingli believed that this was a memorial meal. Great! 
that's all he believed. And we don't believe that because if it's a memorial meal where we recognize Christ's sacrifice for us and that Christ sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins, that sacrifice requires a response from us. And the response from us, it requires, is that of celebration. If my sins are truly forgiven, thank the Lord, I can celebrate. My sacrifice is praise and thanksgiving that we owe to God. When I was a kid, I remember very distinctly, my grandmother was one of those kind of habitual elders in the church, you know, and we had to dress up four times a year when we had communion, had to dress up. She got going in her thing. And then the elders would march in, and it would march in all in a row, like there were like 12 or 15 or 18 of them at Calvary Church at that time. And they would march so heavily that the floor would shake and scared the snot out of me, and you had to sit up real straight. It was like when the pastor came to visit your house, you had to put on your best dress and practice the piano because you knew you were going to be asked to play for him and stuff. It was very somber. Have you ever been here and heard what I say? This is the joyful feast of the Lord. It's celebration. We've gotten so caught up in the remembrance and the memory and the memorial meal that we forget to celebrate. And then... Beyond that celebration is the fact that we will one day sit again in glory with Jesus. Not with some poor representation of a pastor emulating him as host, but with him actually as host. We anticipate that. We remember, we celebrate, we believe. 